0: And on this week's show, we hear from FIFA president Gianni Infantino, who says that with elections for a new CAF president taking place next month, this is a crucial period for African football. Infantino says that with good leadership at CAF, the continent might do better at the next FIFA men's and women's World Cups and compete well against the big teams
1: in 2026 for example africa will have 9 or 10 participants in the world cup let's not forget that in 2023 already africa will have 4 instead of only 3 participants at the women's world cup.
0: Also, we go to Cameroon and hear what the reaction is there to indomitable Lions and Ajax goalkeeper Andre Onana being given a one-year ban by UEFA after failing an out-of-competition doping test, plus Stewart's assessment of how the new Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel is getting on. But straight to our big story this week, as the elections for a new Confederation of African football president are on in two weeks' time. FIFA president Gianni Infantino was with one of the candidates last weekend. That's South Africa's Patrice Motsepe, as Infantino attended the annual general meeting of Cassafa, Southern Africa's regional body. CASAFA endorsed Motsepe as their candidate, and more on that on next week's show. Let's hear the thoughts of Infantino, who spoke to Nick. Said of the Kasafa podcast first about the importance of the upcoming CAF elections.
1: Well, it's clear that elections are always uh, an important milestone in the organisation of, uh, of an association like CAF, but uh, like any other confederation or any national association, uh, elections are an important milestone in CAF in Africa. Because uh, let's not forget that in twenty twenty six. For example, Africa will have nine or ten participants in the World Cup. Let's not forget that in 2023, already, Africa will have four instead of only three participants at the Women's World Cup. So there is a lot of work to be done in preparation for these events. And the work to be done in preparation for these events will be done from now until then. This means that the period 21 to 25 is a crucial period for African football. Because you want to go and participate in these events and play a protagonist role, not just go and play and go back home after two or three games, but to really be able to compete at the highest level. To compete at the highest level, the organization needs to be done in a certain way. Reforms need to be implemented. Everyone is aware of that. Uh, And the unity in the continent has to be Found backing these uh, projects, which go from good governance to infrastructure development, to new competitions or competition development and uh, uh, academies and training for young players. So all of this, all of these teams are at the heart of the debates for the CAF presidential elections. And uh, I would wish that the whole continent can unite uh, behind these topics, behind the strong leadership to lead Africa. At the top of global football. From a, a global perspective, what are sort of uh, FIFA's main aims and goals for the next five to ten years? Well, the next five to ten years are crucial in the sense that um, we need to make sure that uh, football becomes truly global. We are all saying football is global, but uh, if you scratch a little bit the surface, you can see that at least top football is very much concentrated uh, in, in, in maybe in just a few clubs in a few countries, uh, and we need to globalize that much more. I've been uh, sharing my vision for the coming years, saying that uh, my aim or my uh, objective or our objective and our aim should be to have at least 50 countries who can uh, aspire to be world champion and not just five or six to have at least 50 clubs from all over the world, aspiring to become world champion of clubs and not just five or six from one continent. And we've seen that it is Possible. We've seen it at the last Club World Cup where uh, Al-Ali from Egypt has uh, uh, defeated Palmeiras from uh, uh, Brazil. Uh, so it is definitely uh, possible, but we need to work more constantly in this area. How do we do that? By investing, investing in our youth, boys and girls, with new events, new competitions at regional level, as it is done in KOSAFA at continental level, at global level, uh, for boys and for girls, and then moving up at the senior level for both clubs and national teams. And this uh, discussion of, obviously, the international match calendar will be crucial because more and more players play abroad, not in their own home country. And when they have to travel for national team, it is complicated. So we need to find the right balance there between clubs and national team football, of course, protecting national team football uh, as, as the heart of, of our game and finding the best way to organize. Uh, this will be uh, certainly one of the challenges of the future.
0: That's FIFA president Gianni Infantino speaking to the Casafa podcast. Uh, Well, Ida, let's start with the first part. Infantino saying it's a crucial period for African football. As with good leadership at CAF, the continent might do better, he says, at the next FIFA men's and women's World Cups.
2: Well, Infantino's comments are quite interesting, Steve. And, you know, allow me to get into the technical, at least before I get into the political, you know. Uh, the 2026 World Cup, well, as the FIFA president has put it, it will see the tournament expanded from 32 to 48 teams, while the 2023 Women's World Cup will see 32 teams feature that will be up from the usual 24. So, yes, absolutely. It is a great opportunity for Africa with additional participation, and for some countries to, you know, maybe even come out and really establish themselves. But I would like to pick point with something Infantino said that I personally thought was very telling. The part about what can be achieved, Steve, with, you know, quote unquote, good leadership in African football. And it might be me, you know, reading too much into it, but it gives insight blatantly even, I think, into the relationship that exists, you know, between the current CAF administration and the world governing body. And it's probably been the worst kept secret within football circles. But to actually hear the FIFA president say it as it is, you know, is different. And to hear him say it as well, while on a tour of Africa, I think adds to the current situation. And it's also very telling that he has so far not visited the CAF headquarters in Cairo while on his tour. But Steve, going back to the football, well, increasing the number of African teams, while a good idea, isn't the solution. It's bettering the structures that will improve the ecosystem that surrounds a football in the continent. Because while the number of African teams will increase, don't forget, so will others from other confederations as well. So it's about the leadership. Ultimately, it's about the organization, you know, and not constantly dealing with corruption and drama, you know, that's around top leadership, because that's how the last few years in African football have felt. Because then it becomes more of a circus, Steve, and the continent loses its credibility. People don't take African football seriously, you know, but as I've always said, it's not that these similar situations don't happen. Europe, not that they don't happen elsewhere, but the reason it rarely looks as bad is because there are existing structures, you know, that take care of the player first with everything else coming after.
0: Yes, very interesting and some deep issues there. And uh, being FIFA president is a highly political business. Infantino said there that he wants football to be truly global and that rather than the situation now where five or six countries have a real chance of winning the men's World Cup, he'd want a situation either where 50 countries could aspire to be world champions.
2: Well, it might not be the most realistic, you know, with, um, you know, 50 countries. But look, I definitely get it. It's about the tournament benefiting from higher levels of competition from more teams. You know, you remember, Steve, what the likes of Iceland, for example, did at the Euros. And even more recently, Madagascar at the Nations Cup. That's what it's about. The underdog coming up. Ultimately, it does add to the magic. It's no secret as well, Steve, that the current FIFA administration has showed that Africa is quite high up on its priority list. And Infantino's comments on stronger participation from the continent at the global stage, at least to me, isn't a surprise. You know, recently we saw the world governing body setting up offices in Congo and in Rwanda to add on to the ones already in South Africa and Senegal, you know, regional development offices. And let's also not forget... Forget Steve that when Infantino came into power back in 2016, the FIFA Forward program was one of his main pledges. Now, this has seen distribution of finances to different FAs, football associations, increase almost bifold, you know, from Blatter's time. And interestingly, this is despite revenues for the world football governing body staying more or less constant, you know. And um, CAF, of course, is FIFA's biggest confederation with 54 countries. But Steve, with that said, there is still a huge number of African FAs that can't access these funds, you know, because of mismanagement and lack of accountability. Infantino's interest in African football matters over the years, Steve, has naturally raised eyebrows. And FIFA's comments on continental issues, you know, such as how regularly the Afghans should be held, you know, as well as their reported differences with the current administration, despite both of them starting off very well together, has seen some sections, you know, accuse the body of trying to colonize African football. And FIFA's takeover of CAF for six months, Steve, definitely didn't help lessen this point of view as well. Though, you know, that's clearly a debate for another day. All in all, Steve, it's hard not to notice the the timeliness of Infantino's African tour. I mean, he's hit several countries Smack in the middle of a pandemic, but also quite close to the CAF elections. And despite him, look, not outrightly endorsing any candidate publicly, we all know how far FIFA backing can really take someone in terms of African football.
0: Yes, it's intriguing. And it is South Africa's Patrice Motsepe, the person that Infantino would like to be the next CAF president. Those elections are on on the 12th of next month. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, is good leadership the key to World Cup success? So Infantino says that with elections for a new CAF president taking place next month, this is a crucial period for African football and he says that with good leadership at CAF, the continent might do better at the next FIFA men's and women's World Cups and compete well against the big teams. Uh, so what do you think would a good CAF president be what is needed? for africa to go further at the world cup or is it more complex than that or is it the biggest key factor is good leadership the key to world cup success you can go to our facebook page and post a comment there that's planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero well this is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport and still to come Stuart on Jose Mourinho's struggles at Tottenham. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, uh, should Andre Onana's ban be lifted? There's been a lot of support for the Cameroon and Ajax goalkeeper Andre Onana, who's been given a one-year ban by UEFA after failing an out-of-competition doping test. Well, Onana and Ajax say that they will appeal, and the Global Players Union FIFA Pro called the sentence excessive and disproportionate. Onana says that when he wasn't feeling well, he took his wife's medicine by mistake, resulting in the positive test. Well, the one-year ban is likely to affect his career, so should his ban be lifted or eased if it was a mistake? Here with the comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu.
3: Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook. And Emmanuel Essua in Ghana says, "I think FIFA should reduce the ban, and because a one-year ban will affect his career as a player for both club and country, it was a mistake. And I think one way or the other, everyone makes mistakes." Mohammed Standard in Sierra Leone agrees. Human beings make mistakes, and no one is perfect, and so they should forgive him and reduce his ban, says Mohammed. And Evans Goodwill, Ashala Nui, in Cameroon, also feels the ban was too much. Everyone makes mistakes in life, says Evans. So please don't ruin his career. Just give him a warning and a ban of about two months. And we received many more similar comments on Facebook, suggesting that a reduced ban would be more appropriate for Onana. Others sharing this view include Abdul Aziz Yaroyaro in Nigeria, Santino Chichim in South Sudan, and Komba Sandy in Sierra Leone. But Ibrahim Sori Kanu in Sierra Leone believes the ban should be completely lifted. It was a mistake, so i don't think he deserves the ban, says Ibrahim. They need to investigate properly before decisions like this are taken. Even UEFA themselves can be prone to mistakes, says Ibrahim. To what's up now, and Nzoa Nkeo Abel Mbomda in Cameroon says, Onana is a human being and obviously makes mistakes. No human being is perfect. According to me, the ban should be reduced to a minimum level so he can get back on the grass in no time and continue doing what he loves best. Uh, but tebi Otieno in uh, kenya takes the opposite view the fact is that onana failed an out-of-competition doping test says tebi he's an adult who knows that any medicine needs prescription by a health professional his argument according to me is not valid let him face the law and jerry nigeria agrees how are we going to believe it was a mistake says jerry let the appropriate measures be taken Meanwhile, Shamsu in Cameroon says this. If you are feeling discomfort, you should contact the team doctors. But Onana did not try, yes. So UEFA is right. That's drug abuse. But a one-year ban is too long, says Shamsu. We always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Moses in Malawi. I wouldn't say they should lift the ban. I would say let him face it so that he can give a lesson to other offenders who knows that the law applies to every person. But now when you look at it being a mistake, law doesn't look at mistakes. They say maybe first offender, they have to be a little lenient to him, but not really lifting it away. So let him face the challenge that comes after failing. And let's hear now from Omar K. Baji in the Gambia.
4: It's unfortunate that he said he has mistakenly taken his wife's drugs I prefer him to be given a fine over a ban and then be given a serious cross-on by his team, both his national team and then, of course, um, the club.
3: And now here's Hospai Sipatela in Zambia who believes Onana should be given some counselling and sympathy after his mistake.
4: I think the ban should be lifted and just give him chance and counsel him. They should also have sympathy on him maybe if he's banned for air, would he find a place again at Ajax? And really if he's saying the medication that he took was for the wife, they should not ban him for air. That would be a very hard punishment for him.
3: And Ari Naitwe Emmy in Uganda agrees with Hospi. His clear reason that he took his wife's medicine by mistake as he was not feeling well is justifiable and can be pardoned, says Ari Naitwe. Everybody who's ever been unwell at some point in time knows that you may fail to differentiate between medicines. And we've had many other similar comments on WhatsApp sympathizing with Onana and hoping for a reduction of the ban. Among those sharing this view are Elia Maige in Tanzania, Francisco Dodoma in Malawi and Modu Pabibaji in the Gambia. And we'll leave the final say for this week to Nguyinga Maimbolua in Zambia. It was a very harsh verdict, says Nguyinga. Onana has always been a model professional for club and country and should surely be heard. I hope the ban will be eased to serve as a caution to future would-be offenders. So there you have it, uh, Steve. Some of our correspondents believe Onana needs to abide by the letter of the law and accept the one-year ban. But the overwhelming feeling this week was that the ban is too harsh and should be reduced.
0: Well, thanks, Ephraim. That's uh, Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks for all of those comments. And uh, we're going to go to Cameroon and get a perspective on uh, what football fans think there about uh, Andre Onana's ban. I'm joined by NGA Eno in, in uh, Cameroon. Uh, hi, NGA. I'm guessing that uh, most fans there think that uh, the ban on Onana was a bit harsh.
4: Exactly, Steve. A lot of Cameroonian fans have been really shocked and it's been a flurry of emotions from anger to frustration and at some point despair. They are angry, especially as UEFA in its release said that there was proof that doping wasn't intended. But they're however surprised that the ban went up to one year, especially if this is a player who has not had a history in this sort of thing. And most Cameroonian diehards are angry at this decision because they do feel, Stephen, rightly so, that preventing a young keeper as Jonah from playing for a year could dent his career and could also curb or annihilate the possibility of this player moving to bigger clubs. And they do feel that the sanest thing that could happen at the moment will be for UEFA to reduce the ban to perhaps a few months or a few games. And they're comforted by the fact that Ajax of Amsterdam said that they will be fighting to overturn this decision and that they will go to the court of arbitration for sports for something significant.
0: But uh, wouldn't uh, some people there feel that uh, as a professional sports person, Anana has to be extremely careful when it comes to taking medication because of these uh, random doping tests that are made.
4: Exactly, Steve, you're right. And not all football diehards are very angry at this decision. I mean, not all of them think it was a hash ban. I mean, they do feel that Androna being a model for a lot of goalkeepers, has got to portray a certain level of discipline and that this should come with being careful with what you consume, especially, Steve, as this has also happened to some players before him, notably former Liverpool FC defender Mamadou Sako. And I do have to mention here, Steve, that last week, the Vice President of the Interim Management of Cameron's Football Federation told me that it is their plan to attack that decision at the Court of Arbitration for Sports, especially as next year, come January, Cameron will be hosting the Africa Cup of Nations. And that Andre Onana will definitely uh, have to be part of the action. They have said that they will be linking up with officials of Ajax. Now, whether that is successful or not is another thing that will be known in the days ahead.
0: Yes, yeah, so we'll see what happens then with uh, Andre Onana. Was talking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's and G A N O in Cameroon. Let's go to the English Premier League now. I'm joined by Stuart Weir in the UK. And the big game this weekend, Chelsea against Manchester United on Sunday. And let's look at Chelsea first. Uh, Stuart, how would you assess the new manager, Thomas Tuchel? A great win away to Atletico Madrid in the Champions League this week.
5: Steve, I'm always intrigued by the managerial go round. Chelsea have a very good squad of players. Frank Lampard was arguably learning his trade, having taken the team into the top four last year and was doing well in the Champions League, but he was fired. PSG are now doing well under their new manager, Mauricio Pochettino. But you could ask whether Lampard would have improved Chelsea if he'd been given longer, and indeed whether Tuchel would have been as successful as Pochettino if he'd been allowed to stay in Paris, but we'll never know. But Chelsea are currently fifth in the Premier League, in a great position to reach the quarter-finals of the Champions League and still in the FA Cup. Tuchel has not been able to buy any new players, so he's working with Frank Lampard's squad. I know it's early days, but at the moment I don't see any clear evidence that he's doing a better job at Chelsea than Lampard. Chelsea, of course, have a reputation for firing managers and it's four years now since they won the league under Antonio Conte and owner Roman Abramovich really sees this as a reasonable expectation. So, as I can't see Chelsea winning the Premier League this season or next, I'm wondering whether Tuchel will still be there two years from now. But there was a strange incident last weekend. Chelsea had a disappointing draw with Southampton 1-1, and Callum Hudson-Odoi was on the bench, was brought on at half-time, and half an hour later he was taken off and then publicly criticised by his manager. Tuchel said, I was not happy with his attitude, his lack of energy. He was not counterpressing. We demand 100%, so I took him off. I'm not happy with his body language. Now, it's very unusual for a coach to criticise a player so publicly. And remember that Hudson Adoy, for all his big money he's earning, he's only 20. Seems to me a strange way to deal with a young player. But Chelsea looked good in the Champions League against Atletico, even if it did take a 34-year-old Olivier Giroud to score the vital goal. Interesting that Giroud, at a time when the big money strikers and attacking midfield players like Tino Werner, Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz, are all struggling a bit. And Steve, bet you didn't know this, but Chelsea's goals this season have come from 25 different players. Now, that's great in one sense, but for me it raises the question of whether they know what their starting eleven is. Big game at the weekend, as you say. Chelsea really need to beat Manchester United, but United are winning so many of their away games.
0: Yes, that's going to be an interesting game, isn't it? And a lot of different scorers for Chelsea. Let's go back to last weekend, Stuart. Um, What a
5: painful defeat for Liverpool at home to Everton. And you can't say that Everton didn't deserve it. We keep repeating the comparisons of the almost invincible Liverpool team of the past two seasons with the current team, which has lost four league games in a row and its last four home games in a row. And you have to go back to 1959 for that to have happened before. But I think one thing is clear is that even if Liverpool's best 11 players might be as good as those at Manchester City or Manchester United The depth of the squad at Liverpool does not compare with the Manchester clubs. City have been unlucky with injuries to key players but they simply have not had the strength and depth to cope. And you know the loss of Virgil van Dijk has been very significant but incredibly Liverpool have used 17 different central defence pairings this season. You know I sometimes find myself wondering if Liverpool overachieved last year last season Manchester City lost nine league games and you can't win the league with nine defeats but arguably at their best. Manchester City's best was better than Liverpool's best but Liverpool were better able to grind out results and this season City have added consistency to their excellence with this incredible run of 25 wins during which they've conceded only six goals. Liverpool are currently sixth but with two clubs below them with games in hand, I honestly think it will be a real struggle for Liverpool to finish in the top four this year.
0: Yeah, not looking good for Liverpool right now. And uh, down in ninth, Stuart, are Tottenham. Uh, Jose Mourinho's side were leading at one point, And Mourinho's known for doing well in his second season at a club. Uh, not good
5: enough, surely. Steve, it seems a long time ago now, but at the end of November, Tottenham were top of the Premier League. They had won 6-1 at Old Trafford and they had just beaten Manchester City 2-0. We were beginning to ask if Mourinho could do his second season wonder and win the Premier League with a new club. But since then, as you say, Tottenham have slipped. In their last eight games, they have won two, drawn one and lost five and have slipped down to ninth. Now, Mourinho has previously managed Porto, Chelsea twice, Inter Milan and Real Madrid and finally Manchester United. He's now been in charge of Tottenham for 50 league games and his win percentage is 46%. That is significantly lower than at any of his previous clubs. At Chelsea and Real Madrid, for example, the percentage was over 70%. So people are beginning to wonder, has he lost his way? His behaviour seems strange at times saying after games he's very pleased with how his players performed, when blatantly the team is not playing well. He's paid big money for Gareth Bale on loan from Real Madrid, but has then only given him two starts in the Premier League. He seems to have lost confidence with Dele Alley, who not long ago was thought to be one of the best midfield players in the country, and Dele Alley I think, has only had one start in the Premier League. He just seems to have lost confidence in him completely. To me, he doesn't look the same manager he was in his Halcyon days at Chelsea and Inter Milan particularly. And uh, yeah, and
0: Tottenham, uh, as we said, were on top of the table at one point uh, earlier this season. And
5: uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang may have got himself in trouble. He has a new tattoo on his arm. But the problem is that to go to a tattoo shop during English lockdown would be a breach of the rules. And last weekend against Manchester City, he was seen wearing a shirt with long sleeves, seemingly to cover it up. Finally, Steve, I know you're going to love this, but when Takumi Minamino shot past Chelsea's Edward Mondi for Southampton last weekend, it was the first time in the history of the Premier League that an Asian player had scored against an African goalkeeper. Uh,
0: I imagine it was, but uh, I must say I didn't notice that at the time. Thanks, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers, and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.